0: Yeah. Uh, That could be. I mean, I'm sure he had a lot of reasons for constructing it this way. It it could be people that uh, thought of Jesus as less than than God that he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, The Greek word for word is logos. Um, some people pronounce it Logos, but it's properly pronounced Logos. Actually we don't know how it's properly pronounced. (laughs) Um, From which I think we probably get the um, English word logic. It's it's a mistake to read the meaning of an English word back into Greek. That's backwards etymology wrong on a lot of levels. But as, as an illustration I think it it makes some sense here. So the Greek word logos is bigger than just the English word word. It can also refer to and this gets to what you were saying, the the logic behind, the force behind things that makes things work. How things make sense. And especially in the Greek wor- wor- world the term logos was a philosophical term that referred to this this power sort of thing that makes the universe work the way it works, the logic of the universe, uh, so to speak. So it's possible that John is playing on that here. Is that what you think, Randall? Uh, also, wisdom. I mean, yeah. So in the Old Testament, with the wisdom of God is with God in creation, and he creates the world through wisdom. So we have Jesus as the wisdom of God. Uh, I think the, the true background, or the, maybe the, the best way to see the background of, of his word, Logos, here, is from the Old Testament, just how God's, the, the power of God's word. We see this in Genesis 1 that he creates with a word. So the thing about words is they are invisible, and yet they are powerful, Right? So you're fired is a powerful word. It changes your life, right? Uh, somebody's life. Um, so words. What does it? mean? So if Jesus is God's, is the Word of God, then I think there's something here about Jesus is the expression. God's way of expressing his activity in the world. You can see why I don't like the Gospel of John. This is very abstract, and it's, it's very artsy, and I'm not an artsy person, but uh, I think there's a power here. It just takes a lot of work for me to get there. I'd rather just be told what he means. Uh, but instead he says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I think just like we have these thoughts in our brains that become words and the words are what we create into the world to express these invisible thoughts in our brains, could Jesus be the visible expression of God's purpose for the world? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Anybody want to add something to that that makes it make more sense?
1: (laughs) George, this doesn't make it make more sense, but in talking about words, it always amazes me in reading through the New Testament um, the words that Jesus used were always perfect for the timing. Mm -hmm. No matter what he said, it, it was like, how did, how did he think of those things? Well, it's because he is the word.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just perfection. Yeah. So John is what John is trying to say, I think, is that if you're looking for God's plan for the world, God's purpose, fulfillment of God's promises, those all came true in the word becoming flesh. So as somebody who lived with Jesus, who ministered with Jesus, who was around Jesus... Now trying to express it, I think probably after the other gospels had been written that just kind of, you know, no other gospel, the synoptic gospels do not have this abstract beginning. Uh, You have two of the gospels who talk about the birth of Jesus, uh, Matthew and Luke. Mark doesn't mention it. John doesn't mention the actual birth of Jesus, the story of Mary getting pregnant and Joseph and all that. But he has this abstract, theological... John is the, theologic, the theology behind... He's like, you guys just tell the story. Synoptic Gospels, you can tell the stories. I'll tell you what the story means. I'll give you the theology that... So, I won't say anything bad about John anymore, but yes?
1: George, could it be that... I mean, when we say word, it's still a cognitive experience. I mean, that we... We discern words through our brain, mm-hmm. and I think what John is wanting us to see is that Jesus is the manifestation of the relational God. That God is going to be a relational being. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is the expression of that relational side of God. And and word was and you touched on it when you went to logos in the fact that it's it's so much more than just a a cognitive mind experience of this is who god is but i think john by being the friend of jesus and the way he lays it out and then he also says he was with god right which is very relational yeah and then the plural pronouns that we find in genesis in the beginning and let us create Mm -hmm. humankind that us is relational and i think what john might be doing here is wanting us to see that There's relationship in the Trinity That existed Even before we did And, and there's going to be relationship With God out of
0: this doctrine. That, That's a great comment And in a sense relationship Is, is the logic of the universe right. That's the whole reason to be Is relationships um, Yeah that's, that's really good uh, The idea that, that Jesus Pre-existed his earthly birth. Again, it's something we take for granted if you were raised with a story, but it's an amazing thing to, to believe if you're coming at this story without knowing anything about it. Um, that there was this being with God who then became flesh. Yeah? Yeah,
1: so in the whole first paragraph, I think, in verse 5, he's trying to establish a manifest destiny kind of- It's just our destiny to expand and communicate. Right? Yeah, it's kind of like the same concept of this has always been the plan. Where God's love will, will create a relationship. It's big. This is always the plan. Um, there's always been a manifest destiny for yeah.
0: God's idea for the And I think for for John's gospel becomes clear as we go through the first chapter and beyond that it amazed them that that, that those promises didn't just apply to the children mm-hmm. of Abraham. Physical children of Abraham, <coughs> Jewish people, but through the promises that God made, it's now open to everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, and that's a big, big part of what He's going to say kind later. Of a key point. In verse 12, right. It says to anyone who accepts Him, He gives them the right. In a normal adoption, you as an adult show up at some orphanage somewhere and say, "I'm here to adopt this child." <coughs> yeah. In this case whoever except Jesus shows up to the ritz, is, I have the right to be your child. That's right. Uh, through Jesus, it's a different I don't know, sequence. So who are the true children of Abraham is something that John is gonna deal with in his gospel. And it's something that all the, it seems like they, the early church had to deal with in lots of ways, Paul deals with it, that now this plan, this destiny is open to whoever accepts Jesus. So it's going beyond, the law brought us to a certain point, but now we're beyond that, and we're going to Gentiles as well. One of the things that fascinates me is the idea that Jesus is the, he is the, the beginning of creation, but he is also the ultimate expression of creation, which is a paradox in, in one sense. Uh, and of course, then you think about the scriptures of being the full image of God yeah. in flesh. Yeah. Part of the isn't part of the struggle I feel like I've heard this before,
1: that you know, in Greek thought it's it's like either or, but in Hebraic thought it's more like both and. And because we're trained in Greek thinking, then this thing being true and this thing that seems opposite also being true doesn't make yeah. that much sense to us.
0: I think there's probably some truth to that. We're less comfortable with tension we want it to all work out something like that yeah there's something to that Um, okay let's keep reading I think these are all good thoughts Um, and I just I'm just amazed that I mean the the profundity of what we believe about Jesus if this is true that Jesus really is the expression of God in human flesh is is a profound thing and that that they existed in relationship from the very beginning so God didn't create the world because he was lonely but to share relationship with more people good thought okay verse uh, six there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light he came only as a witness to the light that sounds a little polemic, possibly, if, if there were people who were still saying, hey, John the Baptist is the guy, and he's saying, no, he wasn't the guy. He was a witness to the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's another key that this, this uh, gospel may have been written by John because he doesn't. he's the only one that doesn't call John, John the Baptist. He just calls him John. So maybe that's a subtle clue that this is written by John Um, the true light this is verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world so this is going back to Genesis 1 with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth he said let there be light so there's all these John again is artsy's if you read Genesis 1 and then read John 1 you see all these connections about about light Uh, But this is not just physical light. This is a spiritual light that gives light to everyone. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So as, as Hilton mentioned, um, how do you get to be a child of God? Well, um, the way God worked in the Old Testament, uh, the children of God were as a nation of Israel. Now they were be a, to, to be a light to the gentiles as well, but God was definitely working through uh, a nation state, an ethnic group. But now He is working through all those who believe. All those who believe in this word. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Now, I want to do a little addendum here that's my own pet peeve. But uh, John's Gospel is a place to go for people who believe uh, that God picks God elects those who are going to be saved. It's not really your choice; it's God's election. Now, I have friends who believe this, so I'm not saying uh, we should do a heresy hunt or anything. It's not heresy. Uh, it's just not my belief, and I I disagree with it. And it's okay to disagree, right? Uh, but so I want to. This a lot of verses in John sound like God is choosing exactly who is going to be saved. And because it's an easy place to go, I just want to point out a few places in John where human decision is involved. Um, So, uh, look at John chapter 7, verse 17. John 7, 17. Um, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God We'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So whatever you think about the idea of election, you have to keep all these verses in tension. And this verse, to me, seems to indicate anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out. So there is some human choice in there. Um, This may not be a concern to anybody else, but it's just... uh, It's a pet peeve of mine. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 19 is another place I think we can look to. John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because um, God did not elect them. No, because their deeds were evil. Um, People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil, so they didn't want to come into the light. Um, so I do think there are, some, there are some strong, what you would call Calvinistic or uh, deterministic or election verses in the Gospel of John that are difficult from people from my position to explain. But then there's a, a couple verses in John that I like. Hey, that, that fits what I believe, so I like that verse. Um, I just want to put that out there uh, we'll, we'll run into it again in some other places in John The idea of, of God's election But the way the old preachers used to say it Is that God chose the, chooses the plan, not the man So, yes, um, this was not a human decision He says in John chapter 1, verse 13 They are children born not of natural descent Nor of human decision, but born of God so the idea, the plan of God to include both Jew and Gentile was not a human decision. Uh, that's God's decision. That's God's plan to include everybody, not just the Jews. So I take it to be more about God's plan in general, not specific people. Um, that's how I get my mind around that. Anybody want to make a question about that? you all agree with me we don't all have to agree okay Uh, let's keep reading the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us you have probably heard before that that verb in Greek is to make a tent the make a dwelling is we get a tabernacle imagery here and in Genesis uh, one, I feel like uh, God is creating a temple. And on, on day seven, he, he kind of rests because the temple is all ready. And uh, so that's what you do in the temple is God, God's presence comes in and everybody knows uh, how, everything's ordered and, and ready to worship God. So here we have in John's Gospel the replacement of the temple with Jesus. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the temple represents God's dwelling on the earth. That is no longer a place. Jesus is gonna say this explicitly uh, to the woman at the well. But now it's wherever the presence of Jesus is, is uh, God's presence on the earth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth John testified concerning him he cried out saying this is he of whom I said he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. It's a tough verse to translate. Um, Literally we all have received grace on top of grace or grace in place of grace so we we have the idea that grace is kind of being stored up and stacked on top of itself. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father who has made him known. So what I think John is saying here is that I used to read, the, well, I used to read verse 17, for the law came through Moses. It's like, yuck, ooh, law. Yeah, law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So once we got Jesus, icky law is gone. Now we have grace. There was no grace in the law. Have you read the Old Testament carefully? Is there grace? Is there grace in the Old Testament? Now there's what some people read is harsh judgment in the Old Testament as well. But we always point out Ananias and Sapphira got struck down dead, and that's the New Testament, right? Uh, Paul says some people in Corinth got sick and died because they took the Lord's Supper wrong. That's pretty scary because just, I just took the Lord's Supper a few minutes ago. I uh, hope I did that right. Um, so this idea that the Old Testament is just law and yuck and the New Testament is all grace is not accurate. Um, And this idea that that God has given us grace on top of grace I think is further explained in verse 17 that the Jewish people perceive the law to be a gracious gift. It's a gift to have God's, God's advice on what's the best way to live life. Well, here's the person that created you, here's an instruction manual, here's a good way to live your life. That's, that's a grace to have that instruction. Um, and the Hebrew word for, for law means instructions. Um, so the law was given through Moses isn't, I don't think he's saying that's yucky. He's saying the law was a gift that we got that was good for a time. But just like Moses wasn't able to take the children of Israel into the promised land who took the children of Israel into the land of promise? Joshua. What's the name Joshua in Greek? Jesus. Did you ever know that? We don't. In American culture, we don't name our kids Jesus or Jesus, but we would name our kids Josh. We have a preacher named Josh. Um, but that's the same name. We just like the Hebrew version, not the Greek version. So a lot of correspondences between Jesus and in the New Testament and Joshua in the Old Testament. So um, Moses, the law of Moses was a gift for a time, but now we have the full expression. Um, No one has ever seen God. Now Moses was pretty close to God, but Jesus was closer. Um, And now we have the fullest expression of God's purpose and plan. It's, no, it's the law was good for a time, but it's kind of like using a typewriter now to type a paper when you could use a word <coughs> processor. Why would you go back to a typewriter? Yeah. I, I think this can also shed some light on the question about election. Okay.
1: Because um, Think about the, the way that the covenants were framed in terms of Abraham being elect to be to end the people of Israel being kind of being an elect people to show their yeah. purposes for the world, and then. In the New Testament, we find that Jesus is named as the elect one, mm-hmm. and so He is the one who shows most clearly the purposes God has for the world. And then we've all been invited into the family to become children of God through association with Christ, through baptism and discipleship. Mm-hmm. So we become elect in that joining in, but we and we talked about this last week, Sally. Wanted yes. to um That I think it. I have found it helpful when I offered the chance to reframe election as vocation so you're invited into vocation rather
0: than a privileged status right right? so what are we elect to we're elected to a job you're elected to a role uh to a vocation to a calling so it's not hey i'm elect and so i'm a great person it's i'm elect means god is going to use you to serve other people that's what election's for very good very good yeah. Okay. We got a ways to go. You want to make a comment? Yeah.
1: not by words, so that you boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in the Son Jesus for for long time ago. Yeah.
0: So that's great news. Saved by grace, not by works, but you still work. you still got work to do. Works that God wants you to do are still important. You're not just saved by grace so that you can sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, read a little bit more. I know we're getting close to the end, but um, let's skip down Uh how much time we got? Josh, we, we do. I, I've got my boat hooked up to the car. We're getting ready to go to the lake. Leaf my leaf has a towing capacity. It's an electric car, but it, it can pull it. Yeah. It's a very small boat. <laughs> it's very small. Um, okay, um, let's just go to the very end of chapter one. Uh, there's a cool thing here. Um, verse 50 Jesus said You believe he's, He means um, Nathaniel and his early disciples Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree You will see greater things than that He then added Very truly I tell you You will see heaven open And the angels of God Ascending and descending On the Son of Man This is so difficult Why, why can't John just say what he means I don't know. So what does this mean? That you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you know your Old Testament stories well, what's this referring to? Jacob's ladder. Jacob, when he's leaving um, the Promised Land. No, he's going back. My Old Testament (laughs) knowledge here. He's he's leaving where his family and going back to find a mate, right? From his own people. He's deceived. Esau a couple times, he's a conniver, um, he goes to sleep, his pillow is a stone, and you have weird dreams I guess when you sleep on a stone, um, and he sees this stairway or ladder, and that place is, he calls Bethel, which means this is, the, he says this is the house of God, and that place is where they had a tabernacle and it prefigured the temple that was gonna come down a few years later. So that story about God's presence being there with Jacob, now we have God's presence being on, the, on Jesus, on the Son of Man. So it's another way of saying that Jesus is replacing the temple. So where do we see God on earth? Where is God present on the earth? Uh, Like in the Lord's Prayer, uh, thy will be done on earth the way it's done in heaven, those thin places where God's presence is present on earth are places where we are doing his will. Jesus as the one who shows us the most perfect expression of God's purpose for the world, whenever we are following Jesus' purpose, we become that place where God's presence is active. That's, that's kind of what I think John is, what Jesus is saying in John's Gospel here when he says, I am gonna be the place that shows the will of God being done on earth the same way it's done in heaven. That's what angels going up and down the staircase means. Now I feel like I've just explained poetry. which you never want to explain poetry. You just read the poetry and it's self-explanatory. But that's my logical view of what John's trying to say. Okay? Thank you very much for your participation and your presence today. Hope to see you next week.